The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. We've been looking at a series entitled The Real God, and the reason we're looking at this series and looking at the different attributes of God and who He really is is because we live in a culture today, and even in the church culture, there is a desire and there's an intentional changing if you will, of how, how God is viewed, who He really is. There are some things about God that many can take the Scriptures or the proclamation about who God is and say, you know, I just don't like that about God. And so my God, the God that I've created in my mind, uh, He's not like that. But we want to look at Scripture and, and how the Scriptures record for us and display to us the true nature and character of God. And one of those uh, attributes that oftentimes people have a very difficult time with, and that is the justice of God, that God is a just God. Because oftentimes we look around and everybody today is crying injustice, and, and it's true. We see injustice in our culture. We see it in, in, uh, in our schools. We see it in our communities. We see it all around. And there's two questions that seem to bother both believers and unbelievers alike. When we speak of the justice of God, two questions that, that we have a difficult time with. If you've got your notes, you can take these, uh, take these questions down. And the first one is this, why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever asked that question? Why is it that bad things happen to good people? And on the other side of that, the other question that oftentimes is asked, why do good things happen to bad people? I tend to wrestle more with that question than the previous question. And we've all seen injustices or, or things that we see in life that happen, and we think, that's just not fair. Have you ever said that that's just not fair? I can remember when my son Noah was in college at Florida State University, and one of his fraternity brothers, right after their graduation, they had gone out and uh, they were celebrating graduation and they were frolicking around a parked vehicle and they got to tussling and wrestling and, and it turned a little bit more than just wrestling and one of his closest friends was picked up by another young man and slammed to the ground only to have a major brain injury and just a few days later passed. And I asked the question, why? He was such a good kid. He was a great kid. He had all of life ahead of him. Why did this happen to him? You all have your own story. You have things that you're familiar with that you know and you've asked the question, why? That, that just doesn't seem fair. And then the other question, why is it that good things seem to happen to bad people? You remember Bernie Madoff. One of the greatest Ponzi schemes in all of our nation's history where he literally took billions and billions of dollars from unsuspecting clients and he embezzled it for himself somewhere to the tune of about $80 billion. And in the end, he got a little bit of justice, but I seem to think that he didn't get quite all of it because he died early into his prison sentence. And there were widows and retired families that gave all of their life savings hoping to have something and only to end up with nothing. 
You see, the real issue, and, and you've heard this before, but the real issue is life is not fair. Sarah, did you ever hear that from your dad when you were growing up? Life is not fair, and we look at it. You see, we want the balances to be fair, but in a fallen world, life just isn't fair. We want that. There's something in us that that desires that, but really the deeper issue is that life is not fair, and here's where we have trouble with the questions. Life is not fair, and God created life, so then the question comes, is God fair? Is God fair? Is God just? Well, I think the better way to answer this question is to look through a biblical lens as to whether or not God is just and God is fair. Philosophers throughout the centuries have wrestled with this question. Why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people? Other religions try to answer it in their way. But I think honestly, if we look at a biblical worldview as to answer these questions, then we'll find that it's the most plausible answer and we'll know that God is just and God is fair. I've included in your bulletin handout a little diagram that you can look at it just to give you a snap, oh, big 30,000-foot view of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what we see, we see a perfect world as God had intended it and placed humanity in the garden there where there was no illness, there was no death, there was no suffering, there were no tears, everything was right, everything was blissful. There was only one command, and that command from God was, do not eat of that tree. But everything else was there for Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve chose to eat of that fruit where God had said, do not eat. And because God is just, God had to bring judgment for violating his command. And we know the story. From that point on, all the way through Genesis chapter 3, all the way through to the book of Revelation chapter 20, what we see recorded in Scripture is in that period of time, God enacting His plan to redeem, to buy back lost man. And then comes the second judgment or the final judgment. And so we can see in all of Scripture that that God in Tended this, man violated it, and as a result of it, sin entered in, and all of these injustices take place, and we see it all the way recorded through Scripture where good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, and we ask, is God fair? We will later see in Revelation chapter 21 where there's a new heaven and a new earth where God will restore all that where it was intended to be. You see, God's justice is not always immediate. Amen? How do we trust a God who claims to be just and righteous and fair in a world that we see all manners of injustice? Well, I'm going to look at this in three ways. The first way, I want to define biblically what justice is. What does it mean when we say that God is a just God? Secondly, we're going to look at some ways that God had displays His justice, that He is a righteous judge. And then lastly, how are we, how do we as believers respond as salt and light in a world that's fallen to bring about justice wherever we might be? 
There's a unique story in Genesis chapter 19, if you remember when we went through the book of Genesis, where Abraham is told by God that he is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because the wickedness has risen to such a level and that God's going to wipe out the whole city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham pleads with God, and he says, God, surely there are some righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham somehow knew that that would it seem to be injustice, that it would be against God's character to destroy the righteous with the wicked, and he and he begins to bargain with God, and he says this in Genesis chapter eighteen, verse twenty-three. At the end of it, he says, "God, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked?" And then he says, God, suppose that there are 50 righteous in the city. Will you still wipe out the whole city? And God says, yeah. You know, Abraham, if there's 50 there, then I won't wipe out the whole city. And then Abraham replies to him again, far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Abraham begins to bargain with God. He says, God, suppose there are 45. God says, hey, I won't wipe it out if there's 45. Abraham thinks, he says, well, well, suppose there are 40. Will you still wipe it out? No, I won't wipe it out if there are 40. And it goes to 35 and 30 and 25 and 20 and 15 and then finally 10. And Abraham says, God, if you find 10 righteous, will you still wipe it out? And he said, no, I won't. The end of the story is there weren't 10 righteous in the city. And God brings judgment. That's the question. Is God a just God? It was Habakkuk's question and his prophecy in the book that he writes because God was going to use a wicked people to judge a righteous people, to judge the Israelites, and Habakkuk had a hard time with that. He's like, God, surely you're not going to use those wickedians to to wipe out Israel. And God says, yes, I am. And he asks the question, how is that just? How is that fair? The psalmist declares the justice of God in Psalm 97, verse 2. He says, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. That is God. And then he says, righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. We sing about the justice of God this morning. That the throne, the picture that's there, that God sits upon, the foundation, the very thing that establishes it all is that God is a righteous and God is a just God. And God enacts justice. A.W. Tozer defines justice this way, biblically. He says, justice embodies the idea of moral equality. Justice embodies the idea of moral equality. Judgment is the application of equality to moral situations and may be favorable or unfavorable according to whether the one under examination has been equitable or inequitable in heart and conduct. What he's saying is that that justice... To have a judge, the judge is to determine what is right and what is wrong. 
And the individual, depending on which end of that they find themselves on, will determine will be determined whether or not they are punished or whether they're let go, let free, right? And we all cry out, we want justice. How many of you want justice? Do we really want justice? See, because if justice is enacted equally in moral standards, then we are all bound under the judgment of God. You ever had somebody say, that's not fair? Usually they say that when they're on the other end of injustice. J.I. Packer says this, he says, God's work as judge is part of his character. In other words, we can't separate God's justice and him being a judge, a righteous judge, apart from his character. It's, it's what his makeup is. It shows us also that the heart of justice, which expresses itself in God's nature, is retribution, meaning that because God is just, God will enact retribution. There will be a day of payment. There will be a day of reckoning. The rendering to men what they deserve. This is the essence of a judge's task, to reward good with good and evil with evil is natural to God. You see, with God, because He is just and God judges righteously, eventually every person gets justice. That's something to think about, isn't it? In God's time, and we don't always see it immediately, but we know that because God is a just God, that God will enact justice. Now, how do we see justice revealed in Scripture? How does God reveal His justice to us? The first thing I'd like you to recognize is that God reveals His justice through the natural order. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, to paraphrase what Paul says, God, God has displayed all of his invisible attributes, and there in creation, we see that there is justice where evil is rewarded with consequences and good is rewarded with good, just all in nature. There, there's a cause and effect that seems to be there. Other religions try to define it as this. The Hindu defines it as karma. Are you seeing the yin and yang? And it's in creation. It's in order that where there is a reaping, there is always a sowing. You see, if someone sees someone else getting treated unjustly, there's something in us that causes us to say, that's just not fair. This morning before the service, I grabbed two individuals, Tammy and Wesley, and I asked them to tell me their favorite Bible verse. And they both told me their favorite Bible verse. Neither one could quote it, by the way. No, just teasing. And so Tammy tells me her favorite Bible verse, and I pulled out a $20 bill from my pocket, and I handed it to Tammy. And Tammy says, well, thanks, Pastor J-Mo, and she sticks it in her pocket. And then I asked Wesley, I said, Wesley, tell me your favorite verse, and he tells me his favorite verse, and I give him a dollar bill. That's so... 
Wesley, life is not fair, buddy. There's something in us as we've been created in the image of God that that causes us to be uncomfortable or causes us to want to do something when we see an injustice. We see it in the natural order, but we also see it in the conscience as well. Paul, as he's preaching or writing in Romans chapter 1, he speaks of these invisible qualities of God and this cause and effect thing, but he's writing primarily to the Jew there. But in in the second chapter, he wants the Jews to recognize that, that this is also for the Gentiles as well. And he's speaking of the Gentiles, those who are not a part of, of the Jews, and he said, they show, the Gentiles, show that the work of the law is written in their hearts while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the book Mere Christianity, if you've ever read the book, was was a professor in, in London. And he and his good friend J.R. Tolkien were talking one day, and they were, they were pontificating this idea of God. Tozer was an atheist, at best an agnostic. But what troubled him, he says in his book of his final conversion to Christ, that within him there was this little ought, O-U-G-H-T, that he couldn't explain it away. And, and everyone he knew seemed to have this ought that we ought to. You see, there's a moral code that's there as displayed by God's law where it's written on our hearts. And even prisoners in prison on death row have an ought list. It troubled him. He goes on to write in mere Christianity that these then are the two points I wanted to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. That's why when I was a little boy and I stole a piece of bazooka bubble gum next to the cash register in Big Apple, that when I got home, I hid behind the bushes to chew that bazooka bubble gum, and I only had it in my mouth for about 30 seconds because I couldn't stand it. Why? There was an alt in me that said, you ought not do that. Thank God that he's given us that alt. C.S. Lewis goes on to write, Secondly, that they do not, in fact, believe in that way. In other words, they have their all, but they really don't believe in that way. They know the law of nature, yet they break it. These two facts are the foundations of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe that we live in. To sum it up, God has placed in us, in every human being, whether they are believer or an unbeliever, this thing of ought, this thing of conscience where we know that there is an eternal law given by the Creator and we know what we should and we should not do. It's there. God has placed it in us. The second way that God displays His justice First was through the natural order, second through the conscience. The third way is through his role as judge. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, 
Speaking, he says, unto the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. God is the eternal judge. Paul, writing in Timothy, speaks of the Lord. Timothy, Second uh, Timothy, chapter four, verse eight. He calls him the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who have loved His appearing. John chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus said, moreover, the Father judges no one, but He has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So God Himself declares that He is the only righteous judge. The fourth area that I'm going to camp on just a little bit is that God has displayed His justice through the cross. As I was pondering this this last week, I thought it's almost as though that God himself has made himself responsible for the judgment that he's going to enact. And what I mean by that is that God sees that, that men are separated from him because of their sin, and they deserve judgment. They deserve the penalty of their sin. And God takes it upon himself to deliver a remedy for that through his son, Jesus, so that he would be the one that would bear our sins and not only bear our sins, but the righteous judgment of a holy God would be poured out on Jesus, God, very God himself for us. If anybody could say that's unfair, it could be the Father. I love what this verse speaks of. First Peter chapter three eighteen for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Look at the person next to you and say, "You are unrighteous." But the righteous one died for you. It blows my mind. It never gets old. I've been saved almost forty years now. And it still blows my mind that that God would do that for me, that God would do that for you, that we deserve righteous punishment and judgment for our sin, but God, I call it the great exchange, where God gave his righteous son and he absorbed the wrath of a holy God for you and I, and in that our sins were placed on him, and when we trusted him, his righteousness then was imputed to us. Does it blow your mind? There's another diagram that is in your notes. You can look at it there. Many of you have seen this, and Ronnie, I think you have it on the board there. Well, we see on the the left side, man who is unjust. Would we all agree that, that man born in his sin nature is at his heart unjust? On the far right, we have God, and he alone, he alone is the justifier, meaning that he is the judge. And God in that provision for us gave the just one, Christ, so that our sins could be paid for and not only paid for, not only atoned for, but rightfully judged in Christ. It's an incredible thing. The fifth way that God displays his justice is this, through the promise of eternal retribution. 
Because let's face it, we don't always see justice enacted, right? And then we always have the question then sometimes, in some cases, what is really just? I mean, is this measure just? Does this measure make up for the wrong? And where does it end? What, what is the proper retribution for that? And I'm convinced that we oftentimes, men, make a huge mistake in trying to enact justice in an unjust situation by causing unintended consequences where there are even greater injustices that take place, right? I could use a number of examples today. The fact is, is that there is a day of retribution when God will make all things right, where God will execute His justice and there will be a proper day of payment. Now, see, there are two just judgments that, that take place. One Paul speaks of when he's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15, of, of that Bema seat, the, the where Christians, where those who have trusted Christ will be judged. Now, we know that at that point, we're believers, we've trusted Christ, we've been saved, and so therefore we are eternally saved. So the judgment that Paul speaks of there for believers is not that we're going to be judged righteous or unrighteous, but what we're going to be judged on is based on the gifts, the talents, the abilities, and the resources that God has given us in this life so that we might propagate the gospel, that we might serve Him, that we might do those good works as Paul describes in Ephesians that he's foreordained for us. And Paul says, listen, if those good works are, are done and, 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 and they were of the right motive, the right heart, they'll be like silver, gold, and precious metals, and they'll be refined and we'll receive a reward. On the other hand, those things that we do out of, out of wrong motives, wrong intent, maybe it's to get something back, etc. those are wood, hay, and stubble, and they'll go up and we'll not receive a reward. But there's a second judgment called the great white throne judgment that John the Revelator speaks of in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. For you see, there's, there's the fact, and the writer in Hebrews says that it's appointed every man a day to die. I don't care how many supplements you take. I don't care how many facelifts you get. I don't care how many belly tucks you get. Each one of us are going to face that day. And the writer in Hebrews says it's appointed for every man to die, and then after that comes the judgment. Not a popular subject in church today, but there's a judgment coming. John writes of this. This is a scene he sees beginning in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 20. He says, and then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky flew away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. No one's going to escape that because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the fire, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, there is a day of retribution coming. And God, in this period of history, desires that none should perish, but would all would come to eternal life. And while I desire, and many of you desire to see Jesus return, and some of us think it's going to be in our lifetime, we don't know. We desire to see Him, but God, I believe in His grace and His mercy, is desiring that whosoever will would come, because there is a day of judgment that is coming. Now, lastly three ways I want to share with you how we respond to God's justice. Number one is this. First, choose to receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And you can do that today. If you recognize this morning that that you are a sinner, that you've sinned against a holy God, And there's that knower in you, that ought in you that says, I know that I've sinned against a holy God, and there's something that has to be done about that. What you'll respond to is what I shared earlier, that Christ himself, God himself, took your sins and my sins on himself. He who lived a perfect life in him was found no guile, no sin. He went to a cross and shed his blood as a payment for our sins, for your sins, and the judgment that we deserved, he took for us. And the Bible says that if we'll trust in him, if we'll trust in what he's done for us, we will be saved. So this morning, choose to trust Christ. Number two is this, refuse to take your own revenge. We've all wanted to take our own revenge, hadn't we? Got to see heads going up and down. Something hurts. Somebody's violated us in the slightest way or in the most grotesque way. We've all desired to take revenge ourselves. But God says, vengeance is mine. Some of us this morning, maybe we never have acted on that vengeance, but there's been something that's happened to us in our past, and it can be the grossest violation, and the hurt and the pain is real, and it's there. But some of you have not escaped that yet by trusting God that He is the healer. He's the one who can take that and heal that and bring good from that and wholeness and joy. You're just going to let that go and let God deal with that because there is a day of retribution coming. Refuse to take revenge. Refuse to take vengeance. Wesley, don't go in your mom's purse and steal that $20 bill. The third thing and final thing is this, that we need to ponder deeply our time. We need to think about our time. We need to think about the gifts that God has given to us as believers. We need to think about the resources that God has given to us as believers in view of that judgment seat of Christ. 
when we'll stand before Him as believers, and, and we will give an account for all those things that, that we have done for His purposes through all of the resources and the talent, the gifts that He's given to us, and how we might be a part of being carriers of the gospel, ambassadors, so that everywhere we go in the sphere where we have influence, we too can be justice bearers where we go. I love what Micah 6.8 says. He says, He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Now, I would venture that most of us in this room do not have the abilities, do not have the power, do not have the influence, etc., to write the major injustices that we see in our culture and in our society. But we all have a place where we have a sphere of influence, a place where we gather, whether it's at school, whether it's at work, whether it's at church, anywhere that we are, that we can see right and we can see wrong, and God can use us to influence in that place that which would be just. I love what Mother Teresa said. Mother Teresa said, I can't feed 100, but I can feed one. You see, where is it that God has you? Please forgive me if this offends you, but I do it about every week to somebody. Posting on social media is not having an influence on injustice. Most of us, when we do that, we're preaching to the crowd. We're preaching to the choir, the same choir that we're part of. But God calls us to be His hands and His feet, to be salt and light where we are, not to holler and cry and to post stuff out there and have our feel good feel good because we put it out there on social media. There, I'm off my podium and I'm almost done. I took a survey this last week of a number of people and I asked them this first question, what is it? that you see as an injustice in our culture, in our society, that really just stirs your belly? What is it that you see that really just causes you to want to do something about that? I don't have time to read all of them, but just three real quick that I'll give you. One that was given to me was that when they see the sexual exploitation of children and particularly young girls... It just riles them. And so my second question was this, what are you doing about it? I was glad that all of those that I interviewed had something that they were doing about This particular person writes that they go on outreach into locations where women and girls have been exploited sexually, and they try to share Christ with them, show their love. They give to organizations of their resources above and beyond their, their tithes so that those ministries can continue to go in and reach. And then they invest in young girls in a regular basis of discipling them and mentoring. Now, that's where the rubber meets the road. I love what Keith Green said. God wants you to go. God can't cash an out-of-state check. Giving is good, 
but God wants to use us. The second one is this. Somebody had a real burden, a real passion for displaced children because of circumstances where the families have been broken and they're placed into a foster care system or they're orphaned. And it just really, it's, it's such an injustice if you get inside the foster care system and you see how utterly hard and difficult and what these kids have to face. And I said, what are you doing? And they said, we give to organizations. We give of our time and we give of our money and we have compassion to sponsor these children through Compassion International. And we also have fostered ourselves. The third area. It's an interesting one. I hadn't, hadn't heard this, hadn't thought of it from a young adult. What really bothers them is the exploitation of children and teens' minds. And I said, you've got to explain that a little bit more. And he explained to me how that he has some young men in his life that there's such a pressure on them through education and social media and other places to throw out the norms, this deconstructionism that's taking place in our culture and the gender identification and the confusion and all of that that takes place in that. And I asked him, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm intentionally engaging young men. I'm listening to them. I'm discipling them. I'm allowing them to be honest with questions without judgment, and I'm giving them biblical answers. You see, in all of these cases, there are injustices that are being seen, but God wants to use you. God wants to use me in whatever sphere of influence in place. So let me ask you, what just burns in your gut? What injustice do you see that, that you would want to do something about it? Remember what Mother Teresa said, I can't feed a hundred, but I can feed one and get engaged. God's called us to be salt and light. And can I tell you this, that, that we as a church body, we begin reaching out to some of these and, and people start coming. Many of us church folk going to get uncomfortable. But is that what God has called us to? You bet it is. You bet it is. Where is it that he would lead you this morning to go? Where is it he would lead you to get involved? You may be here again this morning and you've never trusted Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to trust Christ. I'm going to be down here at the front for just a couple of minutes and we're going to sing an old hymn together called Wherever. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.